All right, well, good morning. Welcome to Sojourn. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here, and just good to gather with you guys this morning. Uh, We're getting ready just to open up God's Word. We do that every week. We preach from the Scriptures, and so we want to uh, be able to do that this morning. And so if you need a Bible, if you don't have one with you, would you just raise your hand, and somebody will bring a copy of the Scriptures around to you. And so you can just keep your hand up so they find you. We'd love for you to be able to read along with us this morning. And if you don't actually own a copy of the Bible, we'd love to give that to you as a gift. So feel free to take that home uh, with you today. You know, today is an exciting day uh, for two reasons for me. Uh, it's exciting, uh, first, because uh, I have been off for most of the summer from preaching. I took a, a bit of a preaching break over the summer, which is really uh, good for me. And thank you to all the guys who came up and preached. We had some great sermons and great preaching over the summer from a bunch of different people. And so I'm grateful for those men who did that. Uh, but I'm looking forward to being back up here. I'm excited to be back up here. I love being able to open up God's word with you and, and wrestle through the text and see what God's word has for us to say to us and challenge us to help us understand more about who God is and understand more about ourselves in relation to who God is. And so it's a blessing to me to be able to stand up here and do that with you. And I've missed doing it. So I'm looking forward to jumping back in with you as we begin a new series today uh, for the rest or for the next few months. You know, preaching is transformative. And what we mean by that is as we listen to God's word preached, the Holy Spirit uses that to bring about transformation, to bring about change within our lives. And that's not just true for you. It's not just me coming and telling you something about God to see you be changed, but it's true for myself as well. And as we jump into this series, I'm looking forward to being challenged myself, even as this, I was working on the sermon this week, was personally challenged and encouraged by what was coming through uh, the text that we're going to look at today. So I'm excited about that, but I'm also excited, as Alan mentioned, that today we celebrate our three-year anniversary as a church. And this last three years has been a crazy journey, a wild ride at times, and God has done some amazing things over these last three years. I'm thankful that he sustained us by his grace as a church, and I'm hopeful for what he's going to continue to do in and through this church for years to come, Lord willing. And so we're going to celebrate this afternoon with a cookout uh, at 4 o'clock at Van Dyke Park. Everybody's invited to that. Bring some food. We're going to have an awesome time there. But what better way to celebrate than right now just opening up God's word and continuing to look at who God is and help us to understand what that means for us. So to begin our time this morning, I just want to pray. Give thanks to God for how he's blessed us over these last three years and also just ask that he'd bless our time in his word this morning. So let's pray together. Father, we do just come before you this morning and give you thanks. Today we celebrate the fact that this church has been in existence. We've gathered together week in and week out over the last three years. And Lord, that is all of your grace. Lord, you've sustained us, you've helped us, you've changed us, you've transformed us, you've challenged us, you've pressed us. Lord, you've done some insane things in our lives as individuals. You've done some insane things just in this community of knitting us together as brothers and sisters. And so, Lord, this morning, we just want to simply say thank you and praise you for that. It's not because we're awesome. It's not because we've figured everything out. It's because you've just been kind to us, Lord. And so we praise you for that today. And Lord, as we open up your word this morning, I pray that you would encourage us once again as we look at your scriptures. Help us to hear what you have to say to us this morning. I pray this morning as we look at this that we would be encouraged. That's the, that's the hope, the goal this morning. We'd be encouraged to understand and rest in what it means to be faithful. 
So Lord, help us to understand that this morning. I pray as we walk through this week that we would be encouraged and reminded of what it means to be a faithful people, a faithful church who has a faithful God. And so we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, we live in an interesting time. Recent studies have come out that says uh, that people who identify themselves as Christians, as followers of Christ, is at an all-time low in America. It's an all-time low, and maybe that's you today. Maybe you're sitting here today and you say, well, man, that's me. I don't identify myself as a Christian. I don't identify myself as a follower of Christ, and that's okay. We're glad that you're here this morning. But for some of us, that makes us nervous. Say, man, I, I thought this, so this country was kind of built on these foundations of, 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 of a biblical worldview. And we can start to think what's happening is the, is the church, and I don't mean necessarily this local church, but just the church at large in America, is it going to die? Our society is falling apart. It's collapsing. What in the world is going on? See, the church at large is being confronted and challenged on multiple fronts. A biblical worldview is not standard, the standard worldview anymore. And we're being challenged in a biblical worldview in, in areas of sexuality, in areas of ethics, in areas of law. And then we can think about that, that these challenges kind of come from culture outside of the church. But the reality is we're also challenged from within the church. There's a continual call for the church to, to be relevant and to redefine and reinvent Christianity. To tweak the message of the gospel. Look, if we want to survive in our current cultural context, the current realities we find ourselves in, then we need to change something or else people aren't going to take us seriously anymore. And so there's this, this call to, to change and adapt and tweak things. It's an interesting time we find ourselves in. It's a challenging time we find ourselves in here in 2015 in America. But there is no reason for us to, to despair. There's no reason for us to despair, to despair because this isn't new for Jesus' church. It's been happening since Jesus established the church. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, this is my church and I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. What we see in that is Jesus is saying, look, the gates of hell are going to try to overcome the church. There's going to be persecution and difficulties and challenges all along the way. But the gates of hell will never prevail, Jesus says, because I'm going to build my church. And that is a sure foundation, a sure promise that we can rest in. So, so while we don't need to despair about all the challenges and difficulties and the things we're encountering in our culture and in our world at this time, we don't need to despair over that. But we do need to take seriously what God has called us to in the context that we find ourselves in. See, now's not a time to, to sit back and rest and relax. Now is a time to press forward. As one pastor puts it, Christianity isn't normal anymore, and that's good news. It's good news because the almost Christianity that's been popular and promoted in America over the last hundred years is dying off. The almost Christianity, which takes Jesus and kind of puts him on a shelf or makes Jesus kind of our poster child for hooking us up and helping us out. That's dying off in America. This almost Christianity, which mixes the message of the gospel with other things. Because see, when culture presses in, when culture challenges and attacks, that almost Christianity can't stand. It can't last because it has no foundation. It has no substance. It's not built on Jesus. It's not built on his gospel. 
But it's in those moments that true Christianity, that preaches the true gospel, shines forth as being the only eternal and unchanging hope of all of humanity. See, Sojourn, the church at large, and our church in particular, has an opportunity right now. We have an opportunity to show the world in a more clear and compelling way what it means to truly know and follow the risen King Jesus. See, in America, the church was at one time was very central and normal to life. But now it's at the margins. And that's okay, maybe even good, because it's in the margins that we encounter the marginalized. It's in the margins that we stand firm in peace and hope, not in a comfortable place in culture or in the seats of affluence or power, but in a place of humility and unwavering grace because we know that our God reigns and Jesus is building his church. See, Sojourn, I want us to be a faithful church. God has been kind to us over these last three, three years, but I want us to be a faithful church for the next three years. But not just the next three years, the next 30 years and the next 300 years if Jesus doesn't come back before that. I want us to be faithful to our calling. I want us to be faithful to our Lord who purchased us by his blood. And so what we're going to do for the next eight weeks is we're going to to spend some time looking at different aspects of the church and what it means, what it looks like for us to be a faithful church. What does it look like? What what should we be doing if we're going to be faithful? And so what we're going to do over these next eight weeks, starting today, is we're going to spend time in the books of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. These books the Apostle Paul wrote, these letters he wrote to Timothy and to Titus. And what he wrote in these letters is all about the local church and a call to faithfulness. These letters were written a long time ago, but their content and their call and their commands are still true and they're still sure today. See, when Paul wrote these letters to Timothy, when he wrote these letter, this letter to Titus, the church was in the margins in society. It wasn't normal. It was in the margins of society. And so since we find ourselves in that place right now in 2015, we need to heed Paul's words to us. Before we really jump into what it looks like to be a faithful church, as I was thinking about walking through this series over these next few weeks, I just was thinking and praying. I was like, man, I feel like before we really talk about what it means to be a faithful church in different areas within the church, we really need to understand faithfulness. Because I think sometimes we really wrestle with and struggle with what faithfulness really means, what faithfulness really is. So that's where we're going to start today. And we're going to do that by looking at three verses in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip open to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we'll jump in here and read a few verses out of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6, verse 6 through 8. The Apostle Paul writes this. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. When the time of my departure has come, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. What's going on here? Paul, the Apostle Paul is in prison. And he's been imprisoned before, but this time it's different. Because this time it doesn't look like Paul is going to get out of 
prison that he'll ever leave. In verse 6, he tells us that the time of his departure has come. It's, it's imminent. His death is right around the corner. He knows that he's going to depart and be with the Lord. See, the Roman government at this time is cracking down hard and there's intense persecution going on. And Paul is in prison because he preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul is in prison because, because Paul preached that Jesus alone is Lord. Jesus alone is King. And so here he is sitting in this prison cell and he's writing this letter to Timothy. Timothy's a man that Paul has trained up in the Lord. A man who he's walked with and seen grow to become more and more like Jesus. Timothy is a man who's leading in Jesus' church. And so Paul's writing this letter to him to, to, to talk to him about what things should look like and, and how he should be leading in the church. As Paul knows, he's about to die. See, as Paul writes this letter, he's old, he's cold, he's alone, and he's awaiting his imminent death at the hands of the Roman Empire. So what's Paul thinking? What is his assessment of his life and his present circumstances? Has it all been for nothing? Is he just a big failure? What will he tell Timothy? In verse 6, he says the time of his departure is near. His death is imminent. But we see his attitude is anything but fear, anything but regret. See, Paul says he's being poured out as a drink offering. He's making allusion to Old Testament sacrifice, Old Covenant sacrifice, where something was poured out as an act of worship to the Lord. And so Paul's saying, my life is being poured out. My life is being poured out. My blood is literally going to be shed for Christ, for my Lord. And it's all to the worship and the praise and the honor and the glory of God. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 21, Paul says that to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, for Paul, all of life, everything he endured, all the hardships, all the persecution, the beatings, the imprisonments, the ridicule, even death, Paul says, is for the glory of God and the praise of his name. Because see, as long as Paul lives, it's for Christ. It's for Christ. He wants to make much of Christ. That's what his whole life is devoted to, is to preaching Christ and preaching the gospel and sharing that with people. But he knows that when he dies, it's for his gain because Paul believes wholeheartedly that it's better for him to be with Jesus. And better than anything this world has to offer to him. And so he wants Timothy to understand this. He wants for you and me to understand this, that his circumstances might seem dire, but Paul is at peace. And why is he at peace? Well, he tells us in verse 7, kind of the reality of his life. Look at verse 7 again. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Paul gives us two metaphors and a truth of what his life has entailed. He says, I fought the good fight. I fought the good fight. This life is a battle. It's a war. It's a, it's a fight. Paul knows that everything around him is pressing against him. And against the message of the gospel. And so he's had to fight for that. He knows that the enemy is like a lion that's prowling around seeking to devour anyone. To crush the people of God. Paul knows this is wartime, not peacetime. And there might have been moments in time throughout this journey that Paul's been on where he felt like calling it quits or giving up or giving in. But he endured. He kept fighting. He says he finished the race. There's a destination Paul says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. One day I'll be with the Lord. There's a destination I'm heading to. 
And sometimes the course has been bumpy or difficult or uphill, but through it all, he persevered. He kept running. He kept moving forward through all the ups and downs of the journey. But then he says this last thing, this key thing. He says, I kept the faith. He kept the faith. See, through everything that he's endured, even now as he sits in this prison cell awaiting his death, he has held on to the gospel. He's held on to Jesus. He's kept the faith. Paul's never wavered in his preaching. His message has been consistent all the time. That all people are in need of a savior because all people have rebelled against God. And the only savior for all people is Jesus Christ who died as a substitute for sinners like you and me and rose again from the dead. Paul was a faithful minister of the gospel. But Paul also never wavered in his personal devotion to the Lord. He was always trusting in his dear savior who rescued him out of darkness and death who reconciled Paul to holy God. See, Paul was opposed to God. He wasn't doing the things that God wanted him to do. He wasn't truly worshiping God, though he thought he was. And Jesus came to him and he rescued him. And he's always just held on to Jesus. He's held on to his dear Savior. He's been a faithful follower of Christ. What we see in this verse right here is a picture of faithfulness. If we had to define faithfulness, we could say faithfulness is a long obedience in the same direction. It's a long obedience in the same direction. And Paul is at peace because Paul has been faithful because he's had a long obedience in holding on to Jesus and continuing to walk with him. Now, what's the result of Paul's faithfulness? He tells us in verse 8. In verse 8, he says, Henceforth, because of all this, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul's continuing to use an athletic analogy here. And in in Paul's day, when someone competed in a race, they they received a prize. And this prize was this kind of crown they put on their head. And so Paul's saying, look, I've persevered. I've finished the race. And because I've done that, I'll receive the prize. But this crown of righteousness has nothing to do with Paul's righteousness. When we talk about righteousness, we're talking about our our own standing before the Lord, that I'm living a right life before the Lord. I'm walking in obedience before the Lord. I can stand before a holy and righteous God only if I have that perfect righteousness. But Paul's not saying he has a perfect righteousness because he doesn't. He's just like you and me. See, Paul isn't cut from a different cloth. I think sometimes we can read the scriptures. We can read about Paul and be like, man, that dude's a he's a superhero. He just had it locked down. He knew exactly what he was doing, did everything right, and just faithfully followed the Lord all along. But but Paul's no different than you and me. Now see, his heart and his life, everything from head to toe is affected by sin, just like it is for you. And because of this, from his heart and his mind flow his thoughts and his actions, sometimes treacherous thoughts and actions. If we go back to the early part of Paul's life, we see Paul was instrumental in seeing Christians before he came to know Christ imprisoned and even killed and when in all that as paul reflects on his life what it reveals about him is his own deep need for a savior his own deep need for transformation but god saved paul by his grace god saved paul by his grace not because paul was special not because paul was different but because our god is in the business of redemption our god's in the business of redemption doesn't matter how far away you feel like you are from god 
It doesn't matter how much you think you may have jacked up your life. It doesn't matter how much you've been a God hater in the past. God can save you. And Paul's an example of that. Because our God is in the business of redeeming people. Causing people to come from death to life. And that's why it's good news for all of us every day. Because all of us are so desperate for redeeming grace. And God gives it to us. He gives it abundantly. He gives it freely. He gives it to us without cost because Jesus paid the cost for us. See, Paul can receive this crown of righteousness from the righteous judge because the righteous judge gave him his righteousness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul lays it out there. What he says is basically that we take our sin and we don't even do this on our own. We, We love our sin. We hold on to our sin. But Jesus comes to us and Jesus takes our sin from us. And he puts it on his back and he bears the weight and the penalty for that sin. And in exchange for that, Jesus gives us his perfect record. He gives us his righteousness. So that when you and I stand before the Lord, God doesn't look at us any longer as sinners. In rebellion against him, he looks at us as children. Perfect and beautiful because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, his perfect son. That's Paul's reality. He knows that he has been declared right before God. He's been made right before God. He is righteous, but he is hopeful for the future because as he dies, what will happen is he'll be able to stand right before God and see him face to face because of what Christ has done for him. See, Paul received the righteousness of Christ by faith, but that's available to all of us now. Have you trusted in Christ alone? Is Jesus your only hope? To Paul, there's nothing more precious than this truth. And is it precious to you today? Because see, this crown of righteousness is not just for Paul. He's writing this letter to Timothy, but it's not just for Timothy. It's for all who love Jesus' appearing. It's for all who love that Jesus came to live among us and die for us. It's for all who love and long for Jesus to return and complete the good work that he's begun in us. See, Sojourn, Paul is writing this letter with death imminently before him. He's writing to Timothy, a young man and a young leader in Jesus' church, to encourage and exhort Timothy to faithfulness. He's saying, Timothy, don't give up. Don't give in. No matter what's going on around you, fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith no matter what comes your way. Because it's all worth it. Because Jesus is better. And sojourn, this charge is for us today too. Because we find ourselves being a part of Jesus' church. And the world around us and the worldliness that remains in us will continually and unapologetically seek to derail and knock us off course and pull us away from God and his good purposes and drive us back to slavery. It'll woo us to the path of death. Under the guise that ease and comfort are always right and always better than the hard road of faithfulness to King Jesus. See, what we see in this exhortation of Paul is a picture and a definition of faithfulness that's so counter to what the world says faithfulness is. See, we can't miss the contrast of what Paul's laying out here. If we just even look at verse 8, there's such a stark contrast to what Paul says there. He's talking about the day of judgment. When he'll stand before the Lord and give an account for his life and give an account for his ministry. But we see Paul has a confidence. 
He has a confidence that because he's persevered in faith as he stands before the Lord, that he'll receive this crown of righteousness from the righteous judge. But don't forget where he's saying this from as he writes it down. He's sitting in a prison cell awaiting judgment from the Roman Empire. He's awaiting execution because of that same faith he's holding so tightly to. It's a picture of the world's perspective versus God's perspective on what faithfulness really is. See, I think oftentimes we can talk about faithfulness. We can use the word faithfulness. But what we really mean is success. What we mean is success. And so if we're not successful from the world's vantage point, then we must not be faithful. See, the world looks at Paul and says, dude, you're sitting in a jail cell. You're about to die and everyone has abandoned you. That's not faithfulness. That's failure. But Sojourn, there's something really important that we have to to get, that we have to recognize, we have to realize is that God does not call any of us to success. And he doesn't speak in terms of failure. What God calls you to is faithfulness, to a long obedience into the same direction. He calls us to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to keep the faith regardless of what comes your way and my way. And the reality is, in our present context, and maybe in your life right now, faithfulness might mean hardship. Faithfulness might mean difficulty. It might mean suffering. And it most certainly will mean sacrifice. And if we're honest, we struggle with that. I know I struggle with that. I'm okay with God's call to faithfulness. I get it. I'm saying, okay, great, faithfulness. I can can do that. But we want that road to be easy. We can think something along the lines of, look, if I'm seeking to be obedient to God, regardless of what's going on around me, if I'm seeking to follow him and be faithful to him, then shouldn't he make my life easier? God, I'm doing all this for you. Why is this so challenging? Why is this so difficult sometimes? But see, I think it's in those moments that we forget the reality of our lives right now, where we find ourselves. We're not in peacetime, we're in wartime. And the enemy out there and the sin that remains within us wants nothing more than to mar the image of God in us and to derail us from living a life that's pleasing to the Lord. So we can struggle with that. Or for for some of us, I think what we struggle with is that we're cool with faithfulness. We want to be faithful in our lives, but we want our faithfulness to look like parting the Red Sea or feeding the 5,000. God, I want to do big things for you. I want to be faithful, God, like, let me do big things for you. And that's okay to want to do big things for God. But I think the subtlety of that for a lot of us is that when we say we want to do big things for God, what we really actually want is we want the world to tell us we're doing big things. We want someone else to acknowledge that we're great and we're doing great things for God. We want to be known for what we're doing for Jesus. I know this can be a struggle in my own life. We planted this church three years ago. We're here to preach the gospel. We're here to make disciples. That's why we came to Fairfax. We long to see this city and this area. We long to see George Mason's campus reach with the gospel. That's why we came to plant this church. But how subtle it is in my own heart, in my own life to say, but I want this to be a big church. I want there to be lots of people here. I want want the name of Sojourn to be known in the community. See, sometimes I wrestle with that too, where I, if I'm honest, I want the name of Sojourn to be known more than the name of Jesus. When you think about even my own life, I've prayed for revival that, that people all over Fairfax and all over this community would know Christ. But it presses on me when I 
think about the fact, am I okay with revival happening if it doesn't happen in and through this church? Maybe God does it in some other means, some other way. See, when I want it to be all about us and all about me, it means I want faithfulness to line up with my vision, my goals, and my name. I think a lot of us wrestle with this, especially in a younger generation. We're so ambitious, right? We want to save the world. We want to go out and save the world. And so we lessen the other areas of faithfulness in our life that God might be calling us to. Maybe faithfulness for you right now looks like being at home with your kids, taking care of them and telling them about Jesus. And day in and day out, it seems like you're not accomplishing anything. The world says maybe that's a waste of time. You need to do something bigger and better than that, but that's what God's called you to right now, and that's faithfulness. Maybe faithfulness for you looks like going overseas on mission, or maybe faithfulness for you looks like living in the same place for years and years and years, or staying in the same workplace so that you can keep building relationships with your coworkers and your neighbors to tell them about Jesus. See, Sojourn, sometimes I think we can overlook the little areas of life that we're called to be faithful in for something we think is bigger and better. But faithfulness often looks like setting your, fla- your face like flint to Jerusalem, wearing a crown of thorns on your head, being mocked and spit on and ridiculed, carrying your cross on your bloodied and beaten back, and walking the rocky road to the place called the skull and having your arms and your feet nailed to a cross. See, Paul and you and me are in good company. Because Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, yet the Roman government, the Roman Empire nailed him to a cross. Jesus died a bloody death into the world that was failure. But to God is faithfulness. Because Jesus came to do exactly what God sent him to do, what the Father sent him to do, to come into this world, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, that he might bear the weight of our sin Jesus came and he was faithful to the calling that he had to rescue you, to rescue me from death and darkness, to rescue us from ourselves. See, Jesus' picture of faithfulness, just like Paul's, flips the world's view of faithfulness on its head, and that is a glorious thing for us. The world and sin are going to try and knock you off track. They're going to try and knock me off track. They're going to try and knock this, this church off track to pull us away. So what are we supposed to do? How do we remain faithful where we find ourselves right now? Is it just trying harder? Is it just gritting our teeth and manufacturing faithfulness within ourselves? See, what we need to see is in Paul's picture of faithfulness is that his faithfulness is rooted in what Christ has done for him and done in him. Paul does what he does because of who he is, but Paul is who he is because of Christ alone. His ability to stay the course, to keep the faith, to do great things for God is not by his own resolve. It's not by his own strength. It's not by his own ability. It's not because he's really smart or really gifted. No, it's all because of grace. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, chapter 15 verse 10, Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God. I do what I do by the grace of God. And that's really important for us to understand because, again, Paul is not a superhero. He's not a super Christian. He's just a man like you and me who's been transformed by God's grace. So how do we do this? How do we remain faithful as individuals? How do we remain faithful as a church? We do it the same way Paul did. 
We do it by holding on to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2 is a familiar text to some of us. It may be new to some of us this morning, but no matter whether we've heard it for one time, never, or a thousand times, I want us just to listen to it fresh this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the author of Hebrews says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, of faithful men and women who fought the good fight, who finished the race, who kept the faith, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, setting our gaze on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before, that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, sojourn, faithfulness is not manufactured within us. Faithfulness is derived. It comes from Jesus, the faithful one who went to the cross for us. You and I can be faithful because Jesus was faithful. You and I can be faithful because we have faith in Jesus. And even that, even your faith. It doesn't have to be some epic faith, some heroic faith, some gigantic faith, because faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. It's not the size of your faith, it's who your faith is in. That's the, the what and the who of faithfulness. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's our solid rock. He's our cornerstone. He's our anchor. He's our hope. Jesus alone from beginning to end. So listen, no matter what comes your way, we can continue to be faithful. And the way and the reason we can continue to be faithful is because Jesus promises to be with us. That he's never going to leave us or forsake us. Even in your weakness. Even in your frailty. Even in your faltering. He remains faithful. That's who he is, and he can't deny himself. See, Sojourn Jesus is not only our example of faithfulness, he is our means of faithfulness. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. Alan preached on that a few weeks ago. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit, meaning it's not something we just make up on our own. The reason we're able to be faithful is because we have the Holy Spirit within us, which is given to us through Christ. It's by his grace that we can endure, his grace that we can persevere, no matter what comes our way, no matter what challenges we experience within culture or what our world says about Jesus or his gospel or anything else. When there's temptation to set Jesus aside or to tweak the message of the gospel or the mission of the church or to reinvent Christianity in order to be more relevant, what we need to do is look to Jesus again and hold on to Jesus who went to the cross to set us free. When you're struggling with sin or, or tempted to sin, when you're struggling with suffering or you're overwhelmed with the craziness of life or you're underwhelmed with the mundaneness of your life right now, you need to look to Jesus and hold on to Jesus who went to the cross to set you free. When you encounter difficult relationships or difficult circumstances, look to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus who went to the cross to set you free. The only way Paul is able to remain faithful throughout all of his life and everything that he endured through all of his life is because he held on to Jesus. But more importantly than that is because Jesus held on to Paul. See, Paul knew Jesus would never leave him and he would be with him to the end of the age. And that is good news for you and me this morning. Jesus is the faithful one. He is the faithful one. 
Let me ask you a question as we close. Do you believe that God can use you? Do you you really believe that God can use you right now? Regardless of what's going on in your life. No matter how much you know or whatever else. Do you believe that God can use you? See, our world says you need to be great. You need to be successful. You need to be excellent. You need to be the best. What does God say? I oftentimes read the Jesus Storybook Bible with my son, Owen. And if you have kids and you don't have that, I really encourage you to pick that up. It's so good. Just talking about how all the Bible is about Jesus. And to be honest, if you don't have kids, I'd encourage you to pick that up and read it. It's just so good. It just is encouraging. Every time I read it, it just, I want to read it just as much as Owen wants to read it. It's just so encouraging. And, and recently I was reading a story to him out of that. And it just struck me about this idea of faithfulness. And so I just want to read part of this to you. She says this, the author writes this, who would make good helpers? Who would, who would, who would serve God well? Who would God want on his team to be doing his things? Who would make good helpers? Clever ones? Rich ones? Strong, important ones? Some people might think so. But I'm sure by now you don't need me to tell you that you'd be wrong. Because the people God uses don't have to know a lot of things or have a lot of things. They just have to need him a lot. Do you need him a lot? Maybe you're just realizing that this morning for the first time. Maybe God's been doing something in your life over the past few days or weeks or months and you're recognizing your need for him. But listen to me, if you find yourself there this morning, you're in a good place. Because Jesus came to rescue you from your sin and he came to rescue you from yourself by dying in your place and rising again that you might have life now and forever. So grab onto Jesus this morning. Trust in Jesus this morning. Brothers and sisters, God can use you and will use you. And God can sustain you and will sustain you because God is faithful. And he'll enable you to be faithful too. So no matter what the craziness of life brings into your life, hold on to Jesus. Because we all still need him a lot. I'm really looking forward to spending this next seven weeks going through this series on being a faithful church. But today, I just want to give you one thing to do. One thing to do this, one, this week. One simple thing. This week, each day, even throughout the day, I want you to pray this simple prayer and with sincerity from your heart. These are not magical words. It's not a matter of writing them down and just repeating something. That's not what I'm asking you to do. But I want you from your heart to sincerely pray this. God, help me to be faithful today. Help me to hold on to Jesus today. God, help me to be faithful today. Help me to hold on to Jesus today in whatever area in your life. At home, at work, with your kids, in your marriage, in your neighborhood, in your fight for sexual purity, in your ministry, whatever it is. Where is God calling you to be faithful? Where is he pressing on you right now to be faithful? It's not something you have to go and figure out on your own. You can just say, God, help me to be faithful in this today. Help me to hold on to Jesus today. Because see, Sojourn, when we hold on to Jesus individually, we'll hold on to him corporately as a church. And when we hold on to Jesus corporately as a church, that'll help us in the day-to-day of life to hold on to him individually as well. We are the church together, and together we can be faithful. And I love you guys. And I love this church. This has been a, a hard journey at times, a 
difficult and challenging journey at times, but I would never not do this again. Because God has done some amazing and ridiculous things over these last three years. And we can praise him for that. He has been so kind and so gracious and so faithful to this church. He's been faithful to me. Lives have been changed here in this community. People have crossed from death to life in this community. And the name of Jesus has been made much of. But sojourn, let's not sit back and rest. Let's continue by that same grace to strive for faithfulness together for many more years by fighting the good fight, by running the race before us and holding on to Jesus no matter what comes our way. And let's do it to the glory of God and do it for the good of one another and do it for the good of others all outside in our community in Fairfax and all over Northern Virginia. And we can do that by God's grace and because he's been faithful to us. At Sojourn, every week we celebrate communion At the end of every sermon, at the end of every sermon, we come to the table together as a family. And as you eat the bread and as you drink the cup, you you hear these words spoken over you. Christ's body was broken for you. Christ's blood was shed for you. It's always our first action and application after a sermon. And here's why. Because we want the very first thing you do after being challenged or encouraged or convicted is to come to the table and be reminded that you can rest in Jesus. You can rest in what Jesus has done for you. So today, as you come to the table and you hear those words spoken over you, as you eat the bread and as you drink the cup, I want you to focus your heart and I want you to focus on your mind, focus your mind on what you're actually doing. What you're doing in that moment, church family, is you're holding on to Jesus. They're holding on to Jesus. You're bringing yourself there and saying, all I have is Jesus. God, help me to be faithful. Help me to hold on to Jesus today. You're being reminded. You're being refreshed to go out into this world, out into this week, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it might be, no matter how confusing it might be. And striving for faithfulness because Jesus died for you and rose again to set you free. Because Jesus is better than anything this world offers to you. So come quickly to the table this morning to eat and drink. Come quickly today and worship our risen king who is faithful in all things and will be with you in all things. And if you're not a follower of Christ, I just want to ask you this morning not to come forward to take communion. And the reason for that is because this doesn't really mean anything to you or for you. It doesn't do anything. This is a declaration that we're holding on to Jesus. And so if you haven't grabbed a hold of Jesus yet, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet, that's what I want you to do this morning. So if you don't yet know Christ, just hang out in your seat and pray and ask God to reveal himself to you. If you're ready to start following Christ, tell God that this morning. I want to follow Jesus. I want Jesus today. God is faithful to save you. Bring you into his family. If you have questions about what that means, please come talk to me afterwards. I'll be standing right here down front after the service. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. But no, there's a ton of people who'd love to do that with you. That's why this church is here. We're here to tell you about Jesus. We're here to say, follow me as I follow Jesus. I'm not perfect, but I know somebody who is. Can I introduce you to him? So if you don't know Christ and you want to know him, would you let somebody know that today? So don't come forward to communion. Just pray and ask God to show himself to you today. And those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or head to the back. There's stations in both places. And just tear off a piece of bread and take a cup to drink. And just listen to what that person says to you this morning. Listen as the gospel is spoken over you today.
And may that encourage you to hold on to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, my prayer this morning is simple. So we're calling this church to together this morning. It's just to pray something simple. So Lord, would you help Sojourn Church to be faithful today? Would you help me to be faithful today? Would you help my brothers and sisters to be faithful today? And Father, would you help Sojourn Church to hold on to Jesus? Would you help me hold on to Jesus today? And would you help my brothers and sisters to hold on to Jesus? You're our only hope. Lord, thank you for your grace. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.